Good morning. And let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. And as we see the events happening in the world, we can see the movements that you've warned us about in Scripture. And we ask that your spirit will enlighten us, prepare our hearts and minds, enable us to be witnesses for you at this time. And as we discuss these events, give us the discernment of your presence that we can uplift you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. For those of you watching online, you may be wondering, why in March is Dr. Jennings wearing a snowman tie? If you were in Chattanooga, you wouldn't ask that question, because we got snow last night. Uh, last weekend, uh, our family went out for a, a Sabbath afternoon picnic in 72-degree weather, beautiful time, bike ride, and this week, uh, it, it's snow on the ground, about an inch and a half, two inches of snow here in Chattanooga. 18 tonight. It'd be 18 degrees here in Chattanooga tonight, so that's what he said, so... We're doing lesson uh, 13 in the quarterly message of Hebrews, and the title is uh, Let Brotherly Love Continue. Before we actually get into the lesson, though, I need to follow up on a comment I made last week where I mentioned uh, discussing about the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. I mentioned something along the lines of that, that could be easily misunderstood, and I want to clarify, where I said something along the lines of... Uh, of, uh, well, we're not being directly affected here in the United States. Before I get into that clarification, I need to say a couple of things. What attitude are the followers of Jesus supposed to have toward the enemies of God and our enemies? What's our attitude supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who abuse us and do injustice to us? And what, what happens if... To us, if we embrace hate, resentment, and the worldly methods to retaliate to people who do wrong, what happens to us if we do that? We change. We change. Our hearts are hardened, and we actually fall into the devil's trap and become more like the people who we hate if we fall into the trap of using those methods to retaliate against them. And that's part of his history-long, eons-long strategy on earth, do evil and get people to retaliate to do justice by doing the same types of evil to the people who just did evil to you. It's back and forth, back and forth, the old eye for an eye type thing. So what attitude should we have toward Vladimir Putin? Or Joe Biden. Or Donald Trump. Or Hillary Clinton. Or whatever your preference is, should we not love all of them? Yes, we should. And pray for them. Does having love in our hearts for every human being mean that we support what they do, how they act, and what policies they advance? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. In the same way you might love your child who smokes, you hate the smoking, but you love the child. We can hate what somebody does while we love the person who does it. And we need to keep that in mind. That is to be our attitude. Christians are to be concerned with souls, with hearts and minds, to bring people the truth and the love of God in order to deliver them, people, from uh, fear and selfishness and lies. But we are not to be caught up in nation building. And let that sit there for a minute. The Christian mission is not to build nations. Is it? We're to build kingdoms. Kingdoms within individuals. Kingdoms of love. Love. That's right. All nations of this earth are part of Satan's kingdom. They all use his methods and they all do injustice. And when we get caught up into the politics and the nations of the nations, we're operating inside Satan's domain and his side, his framework, and we will eventually use his methods and be corrupted by them. Understand what's happening in the world right now. God is permitting 
over the last years, events to occur and to escalate to provide people actual evidence of the differences in the types of methods of the two sides so that people can have eyes to see, ears to hear, and figure out which kingdom they want to be in. Decide. Are you going to be in the kingdom of God? Practice his methods? Are you going to join with these forces that lie, propaganda, coercion, compelling power, violate conscience, trample upon the liberties given to us by God? Of course, always to help people and to improve, right? We would only do that to help people. We'd only tell noble lies because people need to be lied to in order to do the right thing. Right? We'd only, that's the only, that's the way we'd work. But we're not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We surrender ourselves to Christ and we grieve when we see people practicing these methods, doing evil, because we know they're destroying their own souls. And we pray for opportunities to bring the gospel to them, to bring them to conversion. As Paul, in many places, was speaking to the pagan rulers of his day when he was called before them. So last week I said something to the effect that the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine doesn't affect us here or doesn't have direct impact on us in America. And I was speaking primarily about soldiers in the streets. But have you heard this week, if you have put your head up out of your home in any part of digital or information society, have you heard a message in the media that is just broadcasting everywhere, drum, 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 that Russia is the cause, the cause of American increasing gas prices (laughs) and because fertilizers come from the natural gas that make the nitrates, food prices are going up. And Russia is the cause. And, and be, everything that is transported by trucks because of you is everything. And so Russia is the cause of inflation going up. Have, have you heard this messaging? Mm-hmm. It's coming out of all the media. It's coming out of the White House. That because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's bad for the U.S. It's hurting us. But Putin and his regime are morally evil. And we are a righteous people. And therefore, it is morally righteous for us to suffer in this way in order to oppose and bring down this corrupt dictator. So we're going to hurt. We're going to pay higher prices. But it's the right thing to do. Have you heard this messaging? The question is, is is it in fact true? Or are we being scammed again by those who hate America and want to destroy your autonomy, your economic power, destroy the middle-income American independence, make you dependent on corporations, take the wealth that you and your family have earned over decades, make the government stronger, make big corporations stronger, make the people weaker. Let's ask some basic questions. Investigate. The truth loses nothing by investigation. Two questions. Is the Russian invasion of the Ukraine the cause of the increased energy prices and food prices in America? And second question, will the U.S. no longer purchasing oil products, gas products, from Russia actually punish the Russians as it's claimed it's going to do? We will bring these sanctions against them. It will hurt them, and it's morally right for us to do it. Well, first question, uh, let's answer the first one. When did the energy costs, gas prices, oil prices, and so forth, when did they increase in the United States, before or after the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Before. Back when the previous administration was running this country, 
the average price of gas in America was $1.60 a gallon. That was just a little over a year ago, guys. A year and four or five months ago, $1.60 a gallon at the pump. Prior to the invasion of the Ukraine, gas prices already, already doubled. Why did that happen? Because the new administration, almost immediately day one when they got into office, they shut down U.S. production of natural gas and oil. They shut it down. They shut down the Keystone Pipeline. They pulled permits. Do you know how much natural gas and oil America has in its various depository fields that we could pump? If, and how long would last our economy if we continue to pump it and continue to use it at 2018 consumption levels? So our country continues to burn it up as, as, at the same rate we did in 2000. You know how much oil and gas we have? 2,000 years. 2,000 years worth of energy resources we have in our our actual deposits. What were their reasoning? Uh, uh, let, let, let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, I'm go- it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out the reasoning. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the, the energy prices were going up because of the policy changes of the current administration. Shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, pulling the permits. Driving inflation. Inflation is now at 7% in this country, almost 8%. Yeah. Almost 8% now. Uh, at the same time, because we shut down our oil, our oil and gas production, what else did we do? We started buying it from other countries, namely one of them, Russia. Russia. And so under the previous administration, billions of dollars of oil and gas products that Americans were consuming was money being put back into the American economy, American families, okay? But under the current administration, we stopped doing that, and the billions of dollars start flowing out of our country to the Saudis and the Russians, which give the Russians more money to fund their war. Then the president's team comes out and says that, uh, oh, no, no, you guys are all wrong. No, that's not what's happening. We've given 9,000 permits out to oil and gas companies to drill. They're not using the permits. It's the companies that actually don't want to make money anymore. (laughs) That really flies in our... You all buy that. Oil and gas companies don't actually want to make money anymore. No, they did give 9,000 permits that aren't being used because they gave 9,000 permits to lands that don't have oil and gas. That's what happened. They won't actually give the permits to where the oil and gas is that we can then pump. So they did this as a way to deceive so they can publicly say, we've given 9,000 permits that aren't being used, which is a fact. But they aren't actually given permits for the oil and gas company want to drill and pump. They won't do that. This is actually what's happening. What about the idea that, well, it's all right, everything is it, but, but it's still righteous of us to stop buying from Russia because, as you said, we've been sending billions of dollars there. We don't want to send our money there to fuel the war. So we'll suffer. Even if they're doing that, we'll suffer because we want to help stop that war. Well, the only problem with that is Russia still has full, complete, and open markets for their oil and gas to China, India, and Turkey. So they won't actually have any reduction in sales at all. It will not actually hurt the Russian economy or the Russian people for America to stop buying oil from them. Who will it hurt? 
Americans, where gas in some parts of the country is over $7 a gallon. Think that through. And this is the real goal. The real goal is to empower the government, empower big corporations, and disempower the people of this country. The same goal that was behind the whole COVID mandate stuff. It's not accidental what I'm describing. This is purposeful. It's targeted. It's strategic. Because this current administration aligns itself not with the interest of the United States of America, but with the interest of the globalists. And there, if you, if you want to read about this, just type in World Economic Forum. And you can go to their website. They are public about their goals. And one of the goals of the World Economic Forum is to bring the United States down so it will no longer be a superpower. Because the United States and its constitution is in the way of a globalist government, which they want. The idea, I understand the people who drive the World Economic Forum, and this goes to the motive, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in a hereafter. They don't believe in a second coming of Christ. They believe we evolved from lower life forms. They believe we're overpopulating the planet, depleting the resources, and if we don't act, we will destroy human, the human species and the planet, and therefore we need to act to put a few very wise, supremely intelligent human beings in charge of the rest of the deplorable masses who are too foolish to make wise decisions. This is what's happening, folks. These same people are the people who believe in transhumanism. They have a vision. It's part of their vision that we, we will, uh, with our science, with our genetic engineering and our cybernetic enhancements, we will evolve the human species to the next level, human, humans 2.0. You can read about that too. Just put it in transhumanism, human 2.0. They're public about it. Thus, we need to inject things into people that are genetically manipulative. That, that, people in, people in the world would never go for anything. They would never voluntarily have something that was, that's designed to alter your DNA and your genetics injected into them, would they? It's part of a, it's part of an agenda. It's not conspiracy theory. They're public about it. They have a view that Homo sapiens, which is what we are, will in the future be to the transhumanists what Neanderthals are to us. That's the view, vision. They will enhance themselves, and we will be the subhuman species. They will be the new, higher order human species. Understand, that's part of Satan's strategy. If you have a biblical worldview, we were created in the image of God. The way our brains and minds work, as God designed, we have the capacity through quantum entanglements to actually experience the indwelling Holy Spirit, his presence in our life, to enlighten, to convict, to transform, to lead, to sometimes you can even hear the still small voice. Transhumanism agenda, putting cybernetic chips in your brain, which is actively being researched and done already they're doing it in some experimental cases will cut people off in my view the design is to efface the image of god and put satan's image where god should be in fact right now the 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 world the, the vision of the transhumanists is to actually do away with the internet as we know it and have a cybernetic Internet, where the chip in your brain is networked to all the other chips in everybody else's brains. What could go wrong? <laughs> Seriously, this is the vision. They talk about it. In fact, they've done some experiments with the current internet system and the Wi-Fi and the five and the, fi and the five gigs and all that, the five G. 
that a person with a chip in their brain in one part of the world, through thoughts, activates their chip, activates through the internet, connects to a chip in somebody else's brain, and this person's thought moves that person's arm. They've done that experiment already. That's done. That's not theoretical. It's done. So who is doing those experiments? Who, um, Elon Musk is, is, is leading some of this research. He's not the only one. There's lots of groups doing this, this research. But you can go on, you can put up uh, Neuralink, Neuralink Elon Musk, and you can see a video he's put out about his research in animals already and how they're looking for the best and brightest to join him and help him create these neural links that will go in people's brains. But the United States and its constitution has been in the way of the globalist agenda. And so one of their stated public goals is to remove the United States as a superpower. How do they need to remove? What what would have to happen for the United States to no longer be a superpower? Well, you'd have to undermine the military strength. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you'd demand that everybody in the military take a certain experimental injection and a bunch of them refuse, and so you get rid of them. You get rid of those people. You fire them. And this is what our military strength in the last 18 months has been diminished. Maybe you pull out of Afghanistan and you leave behind, how many billion dollars was it? It's it's a shocking amount of it. I can't remember having billions of dollars of equipment. More attack helicopters than British. That's right. So You leave so much behind that the Taliban has more um, Black Hawk helicopters than the British government does. Or you demand the military wear high heels. Okay. All all kinds of things that that are currently undermining our fighting effectiveness. This is, but how about would you have to do, would you have to weaken the United States economically? How do you weaken the United States economically? Well, you have a fake pandemic. When I say fake, it's a real virus, and people and, and a few people died. A few people, I think, in the United States from the virus, exclusively about forty thousand from with the virus, over a million. But it was never more lethal than the seasonal flu. And we've 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 had seasonal flu outbreaks every year since your entire life. And it didn't result in the need to shut down the whole economy. So my point is not that the, the, the virus was fake, that the threat to the American people was overplayed for the purpose of shutting down the economy, for the purpose of then printing trillions and trillions of dollars, for the purpose of devaluing the dollar, for the purpose of leading us to a, uh, an economic crisis. It's strategic. This is not accidental. The World Economic Forum wants to do away with national currencies. They have a goal for a digital world currency. In order to do that, the United States dollar has to be destroyed. All of these activities are strategic and they're real. Understand during COVID, and some people still can't see past the, the reality that some people got sick and died. And that's all they can see. They can't see the larger landscape of a bigger um, satanic world movement happening where he's working to empower his people. They can't see it. But if you do look at that, you will just ask some questions. During COVID, who got stronger and who got weaker? Did big corporations get weakened? No. Or did they actually get stronger? Did the U.S. government get weakened? Or did it get more power? including to be able to monitor you personally and, and have passports to, to know about your personal health care, your privacy, did it get expanded or diminished? Your liberties to travel and speak. How about free speech? Do you know we were, we were censored, our ministry was censored again last week. And we were warned. 
free speech. Understand what's happening if you look at the global movements. The liberties and freedoms of this country are being attacked. Did the middle Americans gain more economic power and get stronger, or did they get weaker? And how about the people in poverty? Millions of people were pushed into poverty because of the COVID mandates. Millions that weren't in poverty pushed into poverty. If you actually look at outcomes rather than simple uh, losing the forest for the trees, you will see that this is part of a globalist agenda that the Bible has warned us about that must take place before the second coming of Christ. Now think about what's happening in the Russia-Ukraine. Why, why this right now? There have been various wars since, since the end of World War II. How many regimes around the world have done an invasion, done crimes against humanity, whether it's Cambodia, whether it's the Sudan, whether it's Ethiopia, whether it's Bosnia, Herzegovina, on and on we go. And, and, and everyone I've named of, of those right now, so far, the crimes against humanity are much, much worse in all those than what's happening in the Ukraine right now. Now, we don't know where it's going to go. It might get really bad. And, and this is not in any way justifying what Russia is doing. We've already stated all wars are unjust, and we don't support any of them, and we're not supporting Russia. But I'm pointing this out for you ask a question. Why has every single headline on every news channel for the last two weeks been the Russia-Ukraine? I mean, it doesn't matter. Go, go to the, any website that you like, essentially, 99%, if not 100%, if you scroll down, I scrolled down 50, 60 of them, it's Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia. Everything, Ukraine, Russia. It, it, do you all see the same thing? Yes. Why is this the case? It's a distraction. It is a distraction. distraction. It's not that, again, I'm not defending what Russia is doing. It's wrong. It is a diversion like a good magician. Watch the, watch the shiny ball, Okay. so that you won't recognize how badly the world has been Ponzi-schemed by the COVID fraud. That's the real deal. The data was, was emerging, was emerging in February, demonstrating very strong data that millions of more people have been harmed and killed by the mandates and closures when you actually add up all the consequences, the cancer screens that didn't get done, the new cancers, the cancer treatments that didn't get done, the heart attacks, the strokes, the suicides, the overdoses, the child abuse, the spouse abuse, uh, all, the, all the things that add up to the damage and harm that these things have done, not to mention the abuse to children with the mask wearing and school closing and the delayed development and the education and the IQ lowering and all the things that have done. It's overwhelming. And, and, of course, we predicted this. Why? Because when you violate God's laws, you always harm. And these were violations of God's laws. And the evidence was coming out that was, that was going to really infuriate the masses, particularly the soccer moms who tend to lean a little left, when they realize that they've hurt their kids. They're going to be enraged. You don't want to anger a mother. You don't want to threaten her kid. You don't want to harm her kid. Truly, it's true. And, and, and this data was, was terrifying, and you saw little glimpses of this happening in America, in Virginia, in the election last year, 
in the school board elections in Pennsylvania and, and in San Francisco, San Francisco left as you can get, just throughout a recall election that 80% of the San Francisco voters recalled their school board members for, for pushing um, critical race theory and leftist stuff. That's, that's San Francisco. They see the handwriting, and they can't have you looking at it. So they need a distraction. We righteous people in America must stop a, a vile dictator Putin from hurting people. Well, how could they get him to so timely, so timely, just when they need it to invade? And their deep roots, let me tell you, their deep, corrupt American governmental roots in the, in the Ukraine behind the scenes. Amen. I won't go into all of them. You can do your own research. It's out there. It's public information. But I will give you just a little bit of, of the, uh, a little bit of the data. What would you say if maybe 40 years ago, Texas successfully became an independent country, no longer part of the United States, its own independent country, Texas? And then you discover now that China has multiple biological weapons labs in Texas. As an American, what would you want to have happen? Would you say, that's fine. Uh, that's Texas. That's a different country. Or would you say, uh-uh, those weapon labs, no, that's a threat to us. We had to deal with that. There are multiple biological weapons labs the United States has opened in the Ukraine. Biological weapons labs. And you say, this is conspiracy theory. Well, except for the Biden administration official in the Senate this week acknowledged and said under oath that, in fact, they are there and they're afraid that the Russians might actually get a hold of these biological weapons during their invasion. I don't know how many she endorsed, one or more, but I understand there's at least three. But sir, there's just one. There's just one. Well, if there's only one, then they can't make anything dangerous to the people, right? We would one one Chinese weapons lab in Texas would be fine with us. They can't produce that much anthrax. Yeah, they yeah, no, they can't do that. Why Ukraine? So you want to get back to a little more history? When the Ukraine became independent, they had five thousand nuclear weapons from the former Russians that had there. When they became independent, they had five thousand nuclear weapons back in the eighties, no nineties. Back in the 90s. Yeah, okay, when they got independence, but then in the 90s is when the 5,000 were given back. And that was under the Clinton administration. The Clinton administration, wouldn't, uh, Ukraine wanted to um, move west in its philosophy and its relationships away from the former Soviet Union, wanted to be part of the uh, European economic forum, wanted to be part of NATO, and they still want to be part of NATO, and so forth and so on. The Clintons said, uh, Clinton administration said, not as long as you have 5,000 nuclear weapons, you can't move west in your, in your relationships. We won't support you with the banking and economics and so forth. You've got to give those 5,000 nuclear weapons back. Well, they were obviously reluctant because we're afraid that we don't have any defense. So England, United States, Russia, and Ukraine in the 1990s, signed a treaty that if Ukraine gives back their 5,000 weapons to Russia, then those countries, Russia, Britain, the United States, guarantee the sovereign border integrity of the Ukraine under treaty. How's that working out? Not well. <laughs> that was, the, that was the, the first step. And then, if you want to do some research, do some research into who's been making money into the into the corrupt oil and, and um, gas industry, and if they actually got allowed into the into NATO, um, several things would happen. One, 
They would have different laws that govern banking. They'd have different laws that govern weapons research. And so certain politicians' family members couldn't get paid off under the table in relationships, and we couldn't have a bioweapons lab over there. So there's reasons why the CIA and other government agencies have prevented the Ukraine from actually fully becoming integrated into the West. I just say all this because now you say this is this is. Let me ask you this question from Bible prophecy perspective: Which government or nation does the does the Bible tell us at the end of time is the one who speaks like the dragon? Is it Russia? No. Which which nation? The beast with lamb-like horns. The beast with lamb-like horns who speaks like a dragon. Uh, what 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 is what nation is that referring to? America. Yes, not Russia. America. Don't be surprised that you see America manipulating behind the scenes all of these events leading toward the globalistic agenda. This is what's actually happening. Lies, fraud, manipulation, as they come to light, God's people will be sorely tempted, sorely tempted to join forces with the political right, the nationalists, to take power and attack and destroy the globalists. God's people are not in either one of these movements. As I said earlier, we are not nation builders. But we are to have discernment and see so that we don't get caught up into these mechanisms and subtleties of nation states that are all working out Satan's agenda. Understand, we will not save this planet. It's going to be destroyed and recreated by Jesus. There's no human invention, technology, economic strategy, might, force, power, or mechanism that will create a utopia here on earth. There's no human intervention that's going to do that. Things are going to get worse before they get much better. And as I was preparing this week, I came across this quotation. um, And I've got the reference here. It's out of a, a letter written by Ellen White in 1897. We're going to unpack it. It says, The light God has given us for the world is not to be put under a bushel or under a bed. What is the light God has given us, the, the Adventist people, to go to the world? What is that light? The everlasting. Well, truth, yes. The everlasting gospel, the three angels' messages. And the everlasting gospel is not the historic, penal, legal gospel, Jesus came to pay your penalty so you can go to heaven. That is not the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel is the eternal good news about God. God. His character, his methods, his kingdom... His law, which is design law, worship him who made the heavens and the earth. This is the everlasting gospel that we are to take to the world. This is the light that we are to shine. Continuing on. The devil is far from being narrow and prescribed in his work, meaning he doesn't limit his work just to a few. The devil is broad in his work around the planet. That's what that means. Uh, this plainly, this is plainly revealed by the re- Rapidly increasing darkness, the multitudinous errors, heresies, misconceptions, and delusions of these last days. <laughs> Are we seeing any of that happening right now? And I could, I won't even just go into them all, but so many delusions like, there's no male and female. 
Anyone, it's just it's a construct people make up. You can choose whatever you want. This is delusion, folks. There is male and female, and there are also intersex conditions that interfere with normal biology. We're not disputing that. But there's actually male and female. Continuing on. Creeds and false doctrines. What's a creed? Another word for a creed? Fundamental belief. Fundamental belief, yeah. yeah. Because the Adventist church doesn't have a creed. It has fundamental beliefs. But the definition of creed is a fundamental belief. But creeds and false doctrines are popular and all-pervading to leave the minds of the world with the drinking of the wine of Babylon, the most deadly heresy. What is the wine of Babylon? The most deadly heresy? Lies about God, but particularly, what's the particular core, root, lie of Babylon that all the other lies are based off of? Evolution. No, not evolution. God's laws function like... There it is. And this is, this is the lie from the, from the inception. God's law functions like human law. It's an imposed system of rules. And therefore, sin is a legal problem. Therefore, salvation, somebody has to pay a price. Therefore, God is the executioner and the punisher. Therefore, we need to protect from God. And all the other corruptions and false doctrines stem from the idea that God's laws function like human laws. This is, this is, the, uh, this is the core. And that led the church into functioning like a state in the Dark Ages, a hierarchical system with authority over people, with a few ruling elites exploiting the masses, like every human government in history until the United States with its constitution, which purposely was structured to break up the hierarchical powers and give power to the people. It's again why the United States as a has to be destroyed and, and the power of the masses have to be eroded. The neglect of the plainest warnings will place us on the guilty list. Meaning what? It's simple. The neglect of the remedy places you on the diagnostically terminal list. You didn't take the remedy, you can't get well. That's all that means. Yes, we have plenty of evidence of Satan's might. We have evidence also that the day of work is nearly ended. The day of work. Do you see Christ's return is near? Can you see the signs? Let every power that God has entrusted to his agencies be now employed. Restrict no one's labor in any line if they are established in the truth, but let all uh, work who, who will. The great apostasy is working to a point and will develop into darkness deep as midnight, impenetrable as sackcloth. So what is the great apostasy? The Sabbath changed to Sunday? No. The great apostasy is not the change of the worship day. It is a piece of the great apostasy. The great apostasy, you might call it also the great controversy. The great controversy is not over the Sabbath. What's the great controversy over? God's law. God's character, God's law, God's methods, God's kingdom, God. It's over God. How he runs his universe. And the great apostasy is the rebellion against God's system to establish another system made up of rules and authority and coercion and force. This is the great apostasy. This is the time to employ any system that can be devised to discover and counteract the leaven of error. Any system, any method, any, any tools that we can bring to bear that can expose the, the imposed law lie and get people from rebelling against God's character and government 
to bring them back into the, to the kingdom. Any system we can do, we need, to, we need to do it. We should expose the lies. But how about if, if doing so up, upsets somebody and hurts their feelings? <laughs> Shouldn't we be more sensitive? Shouldn't we just tell them it's okay for them to believe any way they want because their truth is their truth? Or should we expose the errors and lies with evidence and truth? In the next words, let there be light. There should be 100 light bearers in our world where there is one today. Darkness will become more dense in human minds after the truth has penetrated and been rejected. That's an absolute fact. If you've had the truth, you've understood it, you said, no, I don't want it, it actually becomes harder for you to respond to truth. You've got a wall up now. It's not a new idea I need to think of. I've already thought about that. I'm not interested. Your mind becomes darker. But there are some minds where the darkness will be removed. They recognize the light. The apostasy will exist in this night of spiritual darkness. It will be destroyed by the brightness and exceeding glory of Christ's coming. Oh, what a day of gladness for the righteous that will be. What a breaking of the spell of fanaticism and delusive sentiments when Christ shall shine forth his ancient glorious, ancient gloriously. Then the system of satanic delusion, which souls have preferred to the truth, that involves a cross that we broken up. They, they preferred the, the delusion to the truth that involves a cross. In other words, no self-sacrifice. They don't want self-sacrifice. They want something that pleases them. They want, they want to be told what their itching ears want to hear. They don't want to hear something about um, something that would require them to give up something they like. Keep going. Satan has come down with great power to work with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. The powers of deception are working upon minds in every country to gain a foothold. Satan is seeking to hedge up our way in this country. Hedge up our way. What's hedge up our way mean? Block our way. way. Obstruct our way. Put barriers in the way. Restrict our liberty. That's what hedge up our way means. Restrict liberties, have the churches closed, have the schools closed, restrict visitation to our friends, have our assemblies restricted, have our free speech restricted, have our, our, our program censored. We don't see any of that happening, do we? And how many have we seen in the churches that actually support these methodologies? I encourage you, if you haven't read my blog from Thursday, The Ten Commandments of Religious Liberty. COVID and the church's responsibility. I encourage you to read it. Exposes what the church is supposed to do on religious liberty and what actually happened. The night of trial, the night of weeping, the night of persecution for the true sake is not far distant. This was written in 1897. Are we entering this time? Is it about to break upon us the time of trial, the time of weeping, the time of persecution? It is through much tribulation that we shall stand as faithful sentinels to God, not swerving one hair from truth and righteousness. Famines will increase. Pestilences will sweep away thousands. Not millions. Thousands. Dangers are all around us from the powers within and satanic workings within, but the restraining power of God is now being exercised. The restraining power of God exercised in 1897. It's still being exercised right now. Probation hasn't closed. But do you see the four winds loosening? Mm -hmm. His hearts are hardening. Mm -hmm. 
God's presence is withdrawing. Satan is gaining more power on the earth to do his evil. We see it happening. Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat, is applicable to to very many souls. Yet we are not left helpless. The Lord spreads his covering hand over us and says, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. Yes, the enemy is raging. We see the, the, the enemy's forces rising, but we have a Savior who has not forsaken us and will not leave us. It's quite a visual to think of the Lord praying for us. I know. Isn't it? Yes. And he's not praying to his Father to influence his Father to do something he wouldn't. He's actually praying for us to not lose faith in him. For us to not take our eyes off him. For us not to get caught up into what the world is doing and be so caught up in fear and overwhelmed with it that we give up. That's who he's pleading. He's pleading for you and me to listen and and to keep our eyes fixed on him. Next. The night of trial is nearly spent. Satan is bringing in his masterly power because he knows his time is short. Are you encouraged by that? The trial is nearing its conclusion. That time is spent. It says the trial is nearly spent. The trial's almost over. But Satan is bringing his final great deception to fruition. Can you discern it? Are you seeing it? Or are you caught up in the hysteria? You're caught up in the narratives. You're caught up in the media. You're caught up in emotionalism and over-empathy. Continue on. The chastisement of God is upon the world to call all who know the truth to hide in the cleft of the rock and view the glory of God. What does it mean? The chastisement of the Lord. God is because of hearts are hardening. God is letting his protective hand loosen as people are rejecting him. Satan is gaining more power. Disasters are increasing. Evil is occurring. And people who have not hardened their heart are being presented with evidences on different methods and different systems for them to make a choice. This is a chastisement, a mercy. God's people, those who love truth, love, and liberty, he says, what to say? Uh, they will hide in the cleft of the rock and view the glory of the Lord. Fear God and give glory. Where are they going to view the glory of the Lord? In the people who reveal his character. We are to be the glory distributors, if you will. Beacons of God's kingdom and the methods that we use. The truth must not be muffled now. Plain statements must be made. Unvarnished truth must be spoken. Yet I get emails almost every week. I don't like it when you talk about things in the world. Just tell us Bible stories. Don't apply this uh, to Russia, Ukraine, to COVID. To th- this is upsetting us. It's uncomfortable for us. We don't like it. We're not going to listen anymore. Do you actually think that Satan's end-time delusion is that he presents himself with red horns and a pitchfork and says, I'm the devil and all you guys can follow me now? 
He is coming under a guise that the vast majority of the world would say, that's right. That is righteousness. That is justice. That's the right way. That's what we think is right. That's how he's coming. Just like what you saw in COVID and all these people who are taking away your liberties and mandating you do certain things because we have to save lives and it's right. And I can't tell you how many people emailed me and couldn't discern it. Couldn't discern the corruption. Same thing with what's happening with Russia right now. Of course Russia invasion war is wrong. Of course it is. We don't endorse it at all. But they don't see the larger movements at play. Well, now we can go to Sabbath lesson. <laughs> Second paragraph, it says, uh, Throughout the letter, brotherly love involves exhorting one another so that no one would fall short of grace. Exhorting one another. What does it mean to exhort one another? It plays right in what I just did. I exhorted you. Exhort means to urge, to give ur- urgent advice, recommendations, and warnings. That's what it means to exhort somebody. Advice, recommendations, and warnings. But what if the advice, the recommendations, the warnings hurt somebody's feelings and makes them uncomfortable? What about that? What if you identify somebody's activities as as sinful and harmful, but to talk to them about it, they would feel judged and, and uncomfortable? If you love them, Maybe you join them in their sin so they'll feel they're not alone. And you, they, have, they have a friend that will, will, will join them and they, they won't be abandoned. And, and you'll walk a journey with them and smoke and toke with them. Well, you, you're laughing at me. Do you understand this is the world's view? You tell them it's good. It's good. It's your truth. It's your truth. So the church is you too. And it's... And, Yes, and this is what the, Paul wrote to Timothy. At the end of time, they will not want sound truth, sound doctrine. They will put before them people who will itch their ears or tickle their ears. Tell them what they want to hear. They won't tell them objective truth. Objective, see, objective truth is how reality works based on the laws that the Creator built reality to operate upon. You don't have to, you, you don't have to live in harmony with the laws of health. You can break them all day long. You have the freedom to do it. But you can't have health while you break the laws of health. You can't have a healthy marriage while you cheat on your spouse or beat your spouse or verbally run your spouse down and call them names. You can't. In other words, if you don't love your spouse, you can't have a healthy marriage. And even if you do love your spouse and love them well, you can't have a healthy marriage if they don't love you. So you look at Jesus in his relationship with Judas. Jesus perfectly loved Judas and it still ended in betrayal. Because Judas did not respond to that love. The current world culture is antagonistic to truth and it's antagonistic to love. Do you know there, 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 I think Canada is one of those places. I, uh, people in Canada watching, you can confirm or, or, or refute this, but I've heard that Canada is one of those places where it may be illegal to pass out great controversy. If it, if it's not illegal, they were entertaining laws to make it illegal because it, it offends because it's anti-Catholic. And that's hate speech. The political correct movement is the idea that if someone takes offense at what you said that you're wrong because you should never offend anyone. 
In other words, you're responsible for how people hear what you say, not what you actually say or what you intend. The Holy Spirit's spirit of truth and love, and Satan, if he can't get you to choose lies and selfishness, will try to get you to choose one or the other, truth without love or love without truth. And truth without love, you see, these are the people who go around as telling the truth the way they see it, and it doesn't matter who gets crushed by it, who gets embarrassed, who gets hurt. They're going to call the truth for what it is. And when somebody gets upset, hurt, and damaged by their speaking truth, they go, what? I'm always telling the truth. You've seen this kind of behavior? There's no interest in healing. There's interest in humiliating and making themselves feel superior. Love doesn't work that way. Jesus never used truth that way. He protected. Even Judas, the other apostles didn't realize what Judas was about. If you're going to go, do it, do it quickly. But he didn't expose him and embarrass him. 1st Testimonies uh, 166, Ellen White writes the following. I have seen the great sacrifice which Jesus made to redeem man. He did not consider his own life too dear to sacrifice. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now listen to this. Do you feel when your brother errs, you could give your life to save him? If you feel thus, you can approach him and affect his heart. You are the one to visit your brother. But it is a lamentable fact that many who profess to be brethren are not willing to sacrifice any of their opinions or their judgments to save a brother. There is but little love for one another. A selfish spirit is manifest. So if you feel the need to correct somebody, then you need to love them. Enough that you die for them. And then when they know you love them that much, they'll be more willing to listen to what you have to say. Isn't it true? Doesn't mean you will, again, Jesus loved enough to die for Judas. Judas still didn't listen. Doesn't mean they will listen. It's the most, it's the healthiest position you can get into for them to listen. So the first error is advancing truth without love. The second error, though, is seeking to be loving, but not truthful. And this manifests as over empathy, sentimentalism, uh, feelings are more important than facts, not wanting to hurt somebody, uh, being too concerned about how somebody's going to feel or react, or whether they'll like or not like you, all this kind of stuff. But they miss the reality of, of how God's kingdom works. And here's a truism. Once there is brokenness, there are no pain-free options. Think that through. Let that just, you, you should learn this, this truth. It doesn't matter if it's a physical brokenness, broken leg. You don't let them touch it because it hurts. You remain in pain and disabled. You let them splint it. Maybe put a pin in it. You go to physical. There's pain in the process because there's brokenness. You can't heal brokenness without pain. There are no pain-free options once there's brokenness. Do you understand you cannot be healed from the brokenness of sin in our hearts without dying to self, crucifying this flesh, going through the valley of the shadow of death, going through the night of Jacob's trouble? There's pain in that process. And if our goal is to avoid the pain, then we'll go into Eastern philosophies or drugs, alcohol, or entertainment, something to just make us feel better without actually healing the brokenness within. And that's the world. The PC movement fails to understand reality. And it's all about avoiding the discomfort and making other people feel good, not actually helping people get well. Of course... Good physicians will always seek to minimize the pain, will anesthetize. The dentist will put numbing medicine in. Uh, but seeking to minimize the pain is not the same thing as avoiding all pain. Isn't that true? 
I'll skip uh, where, where the disciples uh, warned Jesus to stop speaking the way he was because he was offending the people. They were getting offended. The wise people, they want instruction. Proverbs 9, 9, and 10. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But Proverbs 9, 7, and 8, right before that, whoever corrects a mocker, invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Notice, it doesn't say don't cast your refuse before swine. Don't cast your pearls, your pearls of wisdom, before swine, lest they turn and rend you asunder. We don't speak truth to those who have no interest. We shake the dust off our feet and move on. And so, on an, the principle here, on an individual level, we don't seek people out that we can see are doing wrong and tell them we're here to correct them. We have to have a relationship with them first, that we love them and they know we love them, and then in that relationship of love, we can go and counsel them. But in a general community, lecture, presentations, books, pamphlets, we present the truth and let people who want it read it, hear it, listen, and people who don't, don't. But we don't go out in the street and hunt people up and correct them. That is not the way. Sunday's lesson. We're going to skip Sunday. We go to Monday's lesson because we're really a little behind times. I don't know how that happened. Um, uh, Monday's lesson, Paul, in the first paragraph of Monday's lesson, the lesson says, Paul warns the readers against sexual immorality and greed because these are two grave threats to brotherly love. I love how they said that. Two, these sexual, uh, sexual immorality and greed are threats to brotherly love. It didn't say are breaking the rules, gets in legal trouble, um, will require um, proper punishment. No, it's, this is this is a way, great way to say it. It's threats to brotherly love. It incites selfishness, fear. It, it breaks down and fractures um, families and churches. This is exactly what it is. Quite right. And that's what sin does. Sin increases fear, guilt, shame, selfishness, and will divide human relationships. Only in Christ, where we die to self and have a new heart and right spirit, is the fear of what others think taken away. Because we don't live for others, but we live to glorify God. And then we can have the courage to engage in healthy relationships and the capacity to gain healthy relationships. In the lesson it talked about further down, it said... um, we want to avoid this, abstaining from both violations of the marriage oath and from unwarranted divorces. What's an unwarranted divorce? Unwarranted. There was no warrant for it? Put a warrant out for your arrest? Put a warrant out for your divorce? What's an unwarranted divorce? Well, does God hate divorce? Did God give instructions through Moses on how to carry out a divorce? Mm-hmm. Did Jesus explain why God did this? They asked about it. Well, why did God give us and Moses give us right? Because, because of why? Hardness of your heart. So here's the analogy, folks. If anybody ever gets confused about this, it's very straightforward when you understand design law. It's absolutely simple. Do doctors hate amputating their patient's limbs? Yes, they do. But uh, in certain criteria, do, do doctors have specific criteria in which amputating limbs is not only authorized but recommended? But they hate doing it. Why would they make criteria to recommend it? 
What was that? Save their life. Save their life because? Because the, the gangrene or infections are killed. Aha, because not because the gangrene is the most common. And what causes gangrene most commonly? Poor circulation. Meaning the blood isn't flowing. And in the Bible, the, the life is in the... This is a great metaphor. The hardness of your heart, the hardening of your arteries, blood doesn't flow, life doesn't flow, hardness of your heart, love doesn't flow. There's no love for your, in your heart for your spouse anymore. You abuse, you dominate, you control, you crush. But the better if you have a, a limb that's got a, an occlusion in the artery is to go in with an angioplasty and open it back up and get the blood flowing and circulating back and you save the limb. It's better to do heart surgery on a, on a hard-hearted, stiff-necked person to have God's love flow back in and save the marriage, right? But if you can't, it is better to lose the limb than lose the life. And there are some people that are in marriages with destructive and hard-hearted spouses who maybe have not actually shared the marriage bed with somebody else, but they're abusive, they're dominating, they're controlling, there's no love, they're crushing the person's first and greatest commandment is to love your spouse with all your heart. No, no. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Where does the spouse fall? God or neighbor category? If you have a hard-hearted spouse that's destroying your individuality, you have a God-given responsibility to amputate it. And that's when you do it. When love no longer flows and can't be restored. And that, and that, just like amputating a limb, when a doctor does that for a patient, is the doctor's amputation of the limb an act of cruelty? Is, is a doctor amputating the limb the same as, oh, I don't know, in the Middle Ages, a soldier with a sword cutting off a limb? Are those the same things? No, no but superficially, could they look similar? And that's how many people see. They can't have no discernment whatever. They don't understand the circumstances and the reason and the motive behind it matters. The doctor is actually acting in love. The soldier with the sword is acting with hate and selfishness to kill. Sometimes divorce is the most therapeutic act of love that can happen if the circumstances are right. What do you think about the also talks in here about a double standard of human uh, sexuality and promiscuity? Historically, men um, were, you know not really ridiculed for sneaking around and, and being promiscuous before or even during a marriage where women were held to a standard of absolute chastity and, and, uh, and were, were, you got the scarlet letter if they were ever, uh, so forth and so on. Um, what do you think about this, uh, this idea of a double standard for sexual chastity? They weren't there to stone the man. Well, it's a true, it's a historic fact. Okay, so we won't argue the fact. It's a historic fact. But what about, what about modern Western society's approach to leveling the playing field and doing away with the double standard? What is society's approach to that? Make women more promiscuous. Make women more promiscuous. That is the standard. We want equality. So men are degraded in their promiscuity and their lack of chastity and their lack of virtue and their lack of loyalty and their lack of character development uh, uh, historically. So what do we want for our women? We want them to be just as debased. Because that's only fair. That is the message coming from modern Western society. It would be unfair to, to, uh, to have it says, send, send some message of morality that would suggest uh, a people should actually govern their own bodies in ways that are chaste. But if you understand design law, what happens to any person, male or female, 
who is promiscuous. Any person, male or female, doesn't matter what happens if you're promiscuous. What happens inside your heart, mind, soul, character? You get damaged. That's exactly right. Your entire being is damaged by this. So from a godly perspective, who's in a better position? The man with many partners before and after marriage and is unfaithful, or the woman who remains chaste until marriage and stays faithful until the divorce and then finds somebody else to marry? Who actually is in a better position? The woman. This worldly idea, it's not fair to her, she's being taken advantage of, it's her body, do what she wants, go to college, uh, co-ed dorms, it doesn't matter, do anything. It's, 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 it's a satanic lie to destroy character. That's what it is. Why hasn't uh, the world come back with the, and, and, and dealt with the double standard the other way? Where, where the messaging everywhere is for men to be more honorable, more loyal, more faithful, more chaste themselves, more Christ-like in their self-governance. Why hasn't that been the primary message of the world? They have no solution. Because the message of the world, that message requires them to actually acknowledge the Bible and Jesus, and they don't want it. Boy, I had some interesting quotes for you guys. Uh, uh, uh. It's about uh, the church authority in Tuesday's lesson. It talks about obey and submit to the leaders of the church. Obey and submit to the leaders of the church. What do you think about this? It comes out of Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Is the Bible establishing a hierarchical system of authority like, like the, the human governments, like a, a papal leader? Is that what the Bible is saying? What do we do with Acts 5.29 when Peter and the apostles reply, we must obey God rather than men? That's a quote, 5.29. So the apostles have submitted to the Jewish leadership. What about the reformers? Should they have obeyed and submitted to the Roman Catholic leadership? I'm sure they probably quoted this verse, submit to the church authorities. Should, should Martin Luther and the reformers have submitted? I have had this quoted to me and referenced. He's the pastor. You have no right to question his authority. It's told to me directly. What about the general conference when they vote in session? Does that mean the members are then to surrender their thinking and individuality to the organized vote of the church? Or should they still think for themselves and humbly follow where the Spirit leads? Well, consider these quotes from Ellen White. See what you think of these quotes. And think if she was submitting to church authority, or was she disobeying the Bible here that we were, because she was submit to authority. What, what do you think? Remember, she didn't hold church office. She wasn't the conference president. She wasn't the church pastor. So should she have submitted or listen to what she wrote? This is uh, manuscript 156, 1898. The church is in Laodicean state. The presence of God is not in her midst. 1898. This is um, CET. What's CET stand for? Council's Education. Okay. Maybe. But uh, the councils to editors and teachers? Editors. The editors and teachers? Yeah. Uh, 176. I saw that the testimony of the true witness, capital T, capital W, of the true witness, has not been half-heeded. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the SDA church hangs has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely disregarded. This testimony must work deep repentance. All who truly receive it will obey it and be purified. 
Hmm. Boy, I bet the, I bet the church leadership appreciated that. That they are not actually listening to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. How about this one? This is, um, manuscript release 17, page 216, 1898. You can find it in Last Day Events, page 50. It has been some years since I have considered the general conference as the voice of God. She clearly is submitting to the authority. 1901, manuscript release 1901. It is working upon wrong principles that has brought the cause of God into its present embarrassment. The people have lost confidence in those who have the management of the work. Yet we hear that the voice of the conference is the voice of God. Every time I've heard this, I have thought that it was almost blasphemy. We have reached the time when the work cannot advance with while wrong principles are cherished. 1902, writing to her son, Edson's, her sons Edson and Willie. I have but very little confidence that the Lord is giving these men in positions of responsibility, spiritual eyesight, and heavenly discernment. I am thrown into perplexity over their course, and I desire now to attend to my special work, to have no part in any of their councils, and to attend no camp meetings nigh or afar off. My mind shall not be dragged into confusion by the tendency they manifest to work directly contrary to the light God has given me. I am done. I will preserve my God-given intelligence. My voice has been heard in the different conferences and at camp meetings. I must now make a change. I shall therefore leave, leave to the, leave them to receive word from the Bible. This is the light given me and I shall not depart from it. Amen. 1902. Okay. She clearly was not submitting to church authority. Yes. On the same token, she did go to Australia when she said there was no evidence that, that she had that she, this was God's will. Okay, and so the point being? Well, she, she wasn't confrontational and she did not um, create... So this, what you don't you don't think these letters and these statements being put out are confrontational? Those were not public documents. They were not published until the E.G. White writings were published. Mm-hmm. You think it would have been more helpful? You think the church was better served? Uh, her, her eighteen, she wrote a lot after the eighteen. This is only a sampling. Go read the eighteen eighty eight materials. She eviscerated the leadership after eighteen eighty eight publicly. This is only a sampling. But she did go to Australia. When? When did you go to 1890 and came back in, in uh, 1900. She was down there for 10 years. She had no light that the Lord uh, was sending her there, but she also had no light that the Lord would have her not go. So she had no reason directly from the Lord to go. She had no reason directly from the Lord not to go. And she did a good work, and the Lord used that down there. She's over her best writing there. So all that stated, when you read the Hebrews text, there's an important element they left out. The Hebrews 13, 17 that is, uh, that is assumed, in my opinion, by the writer of Hebrews. It's an assumed truth that most people who read it today don't know the truth. Don't, don't assume it. And so they, they, they use it as an authoritarian from, from really Roman view, the Roman church view. We have a hierarchical system. The church is the authority and you're to submit to it. And our church is still viewing it that way because they still accept the imperial law lie that came from Rome. Okay? But the assumed truth that they leave out, which the, which the writer of Hebrews understood to be truth, well, he didn't say it, I put it in, in the remedy paraphrase, and here's the remedy paraphrase. Humbly follow the Christ-like leadership of those in authority. 
and the Christ-like leadership, Christ didn't come to rule over, but to lead by example and sacrificed himself for his church, the Bible says, and speaks the truth in love and leaves people free. That is an assumed truth from the rest of the New Testament that our leaders are supposed to have. I just stated overtly. And that's the type of leadership we're to submit to. And, and that type of leadership we have no trouble submitting to. Yeah, it was this idea in Thursday's lesson. In Thursday's lesson, they read um, and reference two texts in Thursday's lesson. Um, it says the, the uh, place outside the gate was the most impure in the whole camp. The carcasses of the sacrificial animals were burned there. Lepers were uh, excluded outside the camp. Blasphemers and other criminals were executed there. The regulations presupposed that the presence of God was within the camp. Anything that was impure was cast outside the camp. God was unwilling to see any unclean or indecent thing in it. Okay. And then they reference two Bible texts, Numbers 5.3 and Deuteronomy 23.14. I'll read those very quickly. Numbers uh, 5, 1, 1 through 3 says, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who is in, has an infectious skin disease or a discharge of any kind and who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send any male and female alike, send them outside the camp so that they will not defile the camp where I dwell among them. Now, do you hear that he can't stand to look at it? Or is he establishing some health principles to stop disease from spreading? Okay, next one, Deuteronomy. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself as part of your, uh, as part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God moves about your camp to protect you and to deliver you from enemies. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. He can't see you if you're outside the camp taking care of your business. <laughs> he created you that way to take care of your business. Yeah. Well, that's a different discussion because it's not necessarily true. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have latrines in heaven, but that's a different discussion. Okay, yes. When, when the people of Israel rejected God's leadership, he had the, the intent of meeting with Moses outside the camp. We're about to get to that point next. Okay? No, that's the, next, the very next point. But, but I want to finish this point first. But thank you, Wendell, for that because you're exactly right. Um, do you hear first and foremost that both he's about sanitation, about health, the laws of health? And he incorporated them to religious beliefs to make them, um, for the people that are very um, superstitious in many ways, more likely to follow them if they had a higher order of reason than just, uh, you know, wash your hands before dinner, kid, okay, type situation. But did you hear the idea that he can't, um, he can't, let's see, God is unwilling to see anything unclean? That's not what I heard. He will not see, uh, so he will not see among you any indecent and turn away from you. So what, what do I hear is that, that he doesn't want to see you choosing to rebel against him because if he does, he respects your choice and he'll give you the freedom to reap what you've chosen. He would rather see that you've chosen him and want to be close to him, and when he sees that, he'll draw close to you. <laughs> I mean, it's very simple. That's all it means. But, it, but they, they phrase it in a way, God can't look. If he sees it, he'll get upset and have to leave. Very sad. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and David prayed, search me and see the wicked way in me that you can't look at and see because it will offend you. No, create me a clean heart, O oh God. Okay, but at the final of the camp where God dwells, yet he moved the, outside the camp, and Jesus was crucified outside the city. Understand the significance of that. 
Jesus crucified outside the city. The Jewish system given by God as the, uh, as the bastion of truth to prepare for the Messiah rejected the Messiah, and you will not find salvation inside that system. Salvation is outside the Jewish system now. It's not in it. Jesus himself said, your, uh, uh, your temple is left to you desolate. There is no salvation there. If you go to the system of Judaism to try to find salvation, you will not find Jesus there. They don't recognize him as Messiah. Still today, do they? No. Recognize that because much of Christian world teaches that the Jewish people are still gods and Israel, the land of Israel, is chosen by God. This is all part of a grand deception. It's not true. I have a blog coming out in a couple of weeks about that very thing, the land that given and the promise given to Abraham and what it really means and who are the descendants and who are the heirs. But, but, the, but most of the Christian world is, is caught up into genetic biology rather than having the faith that Abraham had. So just understand, outside the city, that's where Jesus, that's where you'll find him, outside that system, not in it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your, your grace and your mercy and your methods. And we do pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out at this time in history. Enlighten our minds. Give us discernment. Uh, give us love in our hearts for our enemies. Give us love for those people who are doing such wicked things. Uh, we don't want to in any way endorse the wickedness, but we want to love the people and see if we can't somehow send a message that can draw them out of the darkness. We pray in your holy name. Amen.